my previous guest actually named my plant, so you can't have that yeah, pleasure, unfortunately. What's it called? Um, oh, God, it was Francis. Such a good name, you could barely remember it. Yeah, I interviewed Rory Stewart. Uh, we did like a 2019 election review, and the studios like, was black box, so it had between two ferns feels, <laughs> and we, we, we brought a plastic plant and put it in between the two of us. <laughs> and obviously... Uh, Johnson had just romped to an 80 seat majority and I said mm -hmm. to I asked, I asked Stuart oh how, how are you doing this morning and he, he immediately started rinsing the plant and was like oh I feel a little bit like your plant actually plastic and decrepit and I was like oh wonderful. Hello everyone welcome back to Judo for Future yes that is correct two pieces of content within six months what a world. Uh, anyway, enough about me. It's far too boring. Joining me today is the fantastic head of news and politics at joe.co.uk, who, according to his Twitter bio, excels in both content and deliverance. Ollie Dugmore, hello. Hi, Hugh. Thanks for having me. Uh, rethinking the Twitter bio now, it's just being quoted at me. I thought, oh my God, I'm never going. I've, I heard it and was like, wait, he just said the word content, and I'm never going to hear that in like something that's vaguely cool enough to be able to quote unironically and it still apply so i did but yeah when if it's going to be fed back to me maybe maybe i should change it maybe i should just go especially especially in like cringy youtuber intro way mm. i don't think you could yeah. ever hear anything <laughs> worse uh, i don't think it was too cringe i i i enjoy i enjoyed it you know it was, uh 101 grab the attention jump out of the screen so uh <laughs> No, 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 you get, in fact, you're going to get your positive marks, positive marks from me. Thank you. That, thank so. you. I, 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 I am, I'm excited to have my podcast performance review uh, at the end of the episode. Uh, Once you stop recording, it starts, yeah. <laughs> that'll be the follow-up video. I make the video. We see how it does about a week later. Right. Here's what you could have done a bit better. All right. Yeah. Maybe cut the glasses. <laughs> they're a bit, they're a bit wide. Anyway, Ollie, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about all things you and all things Joe politics. So for those of us who are somehow not uh, initiated in the wonderful world uh, uh, of your work, do you mind just giving a brief introduction about yourself and about Joe politics and how you got there and what it is that you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm the political editor at joe.co.uk. Um, we have a, a small team of young journalists who report on British politics. Um, the way we do that is via social video, uh, written stories on a website, um, the occasional media appearance uh, like like this one. Um, but basically, Joe is a Joe is a social media publisher um, with a sort of male skewed younger British audience, uh, and so I tell tell those people about politics. Joe Politics, of course, a uh, great source of, you know, funny PMQs clips, great original content, you know, the the the, the Vox Pops, you know, for example, the incredibly viral, uh, the true cost of, you, uh, of US healthcare shocks British public. And I'm sort of interested in just generally, um, what is the general approach when going into uh, a, a day, a day to day of covering politics? You know, talk about there, it's mainly social focus, talk about your audience, but what is your sort of your, I guess, voice or like mindset going into making your content? Okay, two two parts to that question. Uh, the 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 thing that I think about when I'm going into anything is is the audience that I mentioned there. It's it, young young Brits or young men, if you wanted to be more specific. But I should make it clear that I very rarely approach a story with like a men's rights perspective, um, if if ever really. Um, but you know, basically approaching something uh, approaching something with the view of the that I have, which is that traditional media really sort of underserves that audience. 
um you know newspaper newspaper purchases particularly in that demographic have gone off a cliff um the consumption of linear broadcast media again declining significantly between for that demographic where are they they're on social and so there's a real opportunity there to to tell those people about the world about things that are important to them about things that are going to impact their lives um that they deserve to know about and and should be informed about um to go sort of broader media theory about it you know you know an informed electorate is 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 a good electorate there's no such thing as a as well, maybe the most extreme examples, but like there's no such thing as being too informed or knowing too much. You can't, you you know, that decision can't can't ever have a surplus of information, in my view. So that's kind of what the what the 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 approach is, or what I'm trying to get out of it. Um, in terms of the tone of voice and what I want things to sound like, uh, funny is important. Now, it might sound a bit weird in terms of in terms of politics, but um, having a sense i think a sense of humor is is really quite fundamental to our brand um it's if well in sort of certainly in light of recent politics i guess if you can't laugh you'll cry um so so try to make people laugh um but also because i i just think i I don't think journalism has to be dull i don't think it has to be dour i don't think it has to be I don't think it has to feel like a slog. I think to, to use the older forms, like writing, good writing is is such is such a joy to engage with, and you can come away from a well written long read or a, a, re, a you know a really thought out feature. Some some of the best some of the best writers like talk about recent recent generations. You know, A. A. Gill, for example. Like I I could I have read and do read his stuff endlessly. Because regardless of the subject matter, the, the 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 medium by which he's communicating, it's entertaining in and of itself. And I don't think that just because you're talking about uh, landlordism, universal credit, immigration, that these things are by by right that they have to be tough to engage with or listen with. I think you can I think you can inform people and entertain them simultaneously. Yeah. So first of all, uh, on the point of, you know, um, you have to laugh or you'll cry. I've been following politics, you know, for a while now. I've lost all emotion. I feel nothing. So no worries yeah. there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing, the other thing, the other thing I should add to that is that by, by even though you, you, you produce stuff and you're like, oh, people will find that funny. But then you're just you spend enough time in political media you just become so deeply cynical that it's just kind of like you're like, oh yeah someone else will find that funny <laughs> i've been here for three months you know that's when i started the new statesman already feeling it nothing yeah, nothing yeah. but negativity oh, God, yeah. coming out of here i can i can tell you this this smile <laughs> hollow old yeah i mentioned a few of the more like you know the comedian aspects of your of of, of the uh, the work that you guys do but obviously you know there is a lot of very you know uh, important hard-hitting and you know uh very real journalism that is that you guys do you know um the uh piece on the english channel the truth about refugees in the english channel was a personal favorite of mine um really really unique and uh important work as well as the piece on um drug abuse and uh suicide in scotland of course and i'm interested in sort of how it is that you go into your journalism balancing between uh 
generally having like a more comedic voice appealing to you know more uh i guess things like internet culture whilst also engaging very seriously and very expertly with uh dark and um sensitive subjects uh, yeah it's you, you can have both right so you know for example that that piece you mentioned about you know um drug deaths and, and suicides in scotland you know that's that's probably not one to open with some kind of like meme mashup um head swap video or whatever but uh, actually on, on that point though i would say i would say one of the things i that i found very moving about doing that piece actually was the, the glaswegian sense of humor that imbued mm-hmm large parts of it you know i talk interviewing interviewing um the fraser family about their 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 son their brother um jack who, who who killed himself and they they were laughing about it you know not not in a not in a crass way not not in a, not not in a an insensitive mm-hmm. manner it was very much you know they were taking the piss out of themselves they would say actually they were taking the piss out of him on occasion um you know it's it's it, it, it was very much a coping mechanism for them. So there was still, I guess, a, 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 a seam of humour running through that, although by mm-hmm. no means it was not the overriding emotion of the piece. Um, but I would, I, would, I would just say that I think there's a very, there's a very, very long history in British media. Um, well, what, there's a long tradition of satire, for sure. And also, you know, uh, that satire can sit alongside, um, you know, worthy journalism. So you know, uh, 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 a cutting cartoon as it would have been could very easily, you know, I personally don't find Matt cartoons particularly funny, but, you know, they are on the front page of the Telegraph and, you know, a company, very serious, very significant and important journalism as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, two can, the two can coexist in the same, in the same uh, ecosystem. I guess it's just about um, knowing, <laughs> knowing not to bring a whoopee cushion to an interview like the one I just mentioned, or mm. not, not that that would ever be be funny anyway. You, you, that was a poor analogy. You understand? You understand the? You understand the point I'm trying to make? <laughs> hey, don't don't you dare put down whoopee cushions. All right, they have they have carried my humor for years. And if you're telling me now that I've been making a mistake, I don't know how I'm going to handle it. <laughs> okay, sorry, I, yeah, I retract that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Anyway, no. um, Yeah, I I think it's a really, um, a really interesting analysis. You know, I think there's a very commonality amongst people of having like dark humor during dark times. Uh, And I, it almost sounds to me, it's more of like a acceptance of this is the way people approach things. Uh, Sort of naturally then humor weave into that. I was gonna say, do you think that sort of adds like an extra or like a, a, a sort of uniqueness to um, when, you know, the generally political and silly tone of Joe politics, when it steps into things which are, you know, darker in the sense of having that willingness to say, okay, we can acknowledge, you know, whether it's the humor of, of, that this family are delving into or, um, or just around a subject. Do you think that gives it maybe more of like a, a relatable or realistic quality? Uh, I think it makes it, yes, I do think it makes it more relatable. I also think it builds trust with your audience. I, I, um, I, there, are, there are a few greater compliments um a british person can can pay someone than uh, an absolutely devastating piss take of them um you know it's my 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 friends who i confess my my you know my 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 deepest insecurities inadequacies and concerns with um will will also then weaponize them against me at a later date um and that's 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 a mark of true friendship i'm bit, i'm you know i'm obviously being a bit glib but it's i'm being it's but i'm i'm serious you know um the 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 ability to 
to, to not take oneself seriously and to be able to laugh, I think is a really fundamental part of our national character. And um, I think it, I think it develops the, the relationship we've developed with our audience, I think is enhanced by, by that sense of humor um, as, 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 as apparently uh, Matt's salary at the Telegraph would also appear to indicate. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about, you know, like the balancing of, you know, humor in in uh, in the journalism that you that you and your team do at Joe Politics. Uh, and, I, uh, and I'm sort of interested in like, you know, I think generally there is an image of, of British media being quite traditional and quite like old fashioned. Uh, and I'm sure this is a question you get quite a bit, but I'm interested in sort of do you think you've ever sort of experienced any uh, like different treatment or, or judgment even from, you know, from the telegraphs of this world? Or from the spectators of this world, you know, just, just calling out my rivals um, <laughs> for being like more internet focused, being more young and being more, uh, I guess, you know, willing to be more humorous in your coverage. Um, yeah, I mean, ge- generally speaking, I wouldn't necessarily know um, because I don't really I'm not, you know, I'm not in the lobby. I don't go to the Red Lion. Um which for people who live normal lives outside of Westminster is a popular pub close to the Houses of Parliament. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really hang around with those people. So like on a personal level, I don't know what they think of us, um, mm-hmm. which I kind of like, to be honest with you. Um, I, went, I once went to a talk by Neville Thelbeck, who was, he's the guy who, he was like a tabloid hack. And he, he did, um, I think, he, I think one, <laughs> his pantheon of scoops, I think one of them was like the Rebecca Lou's affair story of David Beckham, I think, um, which gives you, gives you a, a clue of mm-hmm. the type of guy he is. But he was talking, Cutting. he was talking about the value of being outside of, outside of the pack and being like a lone wolf and it being to your advantage. And I'm not suggesting that like, you know, we're, we're like, sort of like on a, on a, singular mission to to like destroy the political media in the uk because we're not but um yeah once i did the media show uh, after the 2019 election with amol rajan and um piers morgan and amol uh, was asking about whether kind of um the mashup the song mashups we do you know where we get a politician to sing like we got mm-hmm. michael gove doing because i got high or like a recent one was boris johnson doing the killers nobody told me it was a party or whatever you know um and it like he said, he said, do you think you're sort of, these are really, these are really serious problems or issues and you're cheapening them or, you know, um, you know, lightening the severity. And I, I no, resoundingly no. Um, I would just, I would, you know, point back to the point I made earlier that there is a, a very, very long history of satire in this country. I think it's one of the fundamental parts of our media landscape. And, um, you know, all the way to like sort of like political etch- wood etchings um, and not having that, we would be the poorer for it. And yeah, if if we didn't, well, actually, no, you know what? Fuck it. Even if even if that was all we published, like, I still think it would be mm-hmm. I still think it would serve a purpose. Of course it would. Like, yeah, OK, you're not you're not sending FOI requests and you're not you're not doing a gotcha interview with whichever ministers on the broadcast round but you know if you if you if you're producing a video that's being set that like literally half of british whatsapp has had sent down a group chat you know i think that's i think that that can have as big an impact if not bigger in terms of scrutinizing an elected official mm-hmm. um i i think it's yeah i think it's i think it's hugely important still 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's something I'm very interested in. You know, like I, I work in, in audiovisual, as we were talking about before. And, you know, I've always been very interested in sort of like the future of journalism and how that will like adapt alongside um uh you know the growth of social media i personally think that none of us will be able to write in 20 years uh and dance interpretive dance and video will be the only communicative forms uh <laughs> i'm interested in um how you see like the role of you know video journalism whether it be podcasts as well or of just uh the way that um you know the internet and social media will will adapt into the future because you know we, we're obviously at a point now where virtually every single publication is very online and they're clearly moving in that direction going forwards. How do you see that even going at the next step? Uh, well, Hugh, in the future, you and I will just be avatars in the metaverse and uh, that's how people will consume our content. I, you know, uh, no, I, no, I, th- I, th- I think, I think obviously I think video journalism is really important. Maybe I say that because it's primarily what I do, but I do think there are certain stories that, are visual, you know, that that are best told in that manner. Equally, I think there are stories that are best told in the written word. Um, I don't necessarily buy the the sort of um, declining, well, I certainly don't buy the declining attention spans argument that is pretty popular in in sort of parts of the media. Um, Look at look at Substack, look at Glenn Greenwald, look at Andrew Sullivan, look at Matt Taibbi. They are all making, uh, well, first of all, they're making an absolute shitload of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the reason they're making that money is because people people are reading, people are reading them. So um, the medium is changing. There's no question about that. Uh, but I don't think it's necessarily the, the form itself. I think the written word is, is still hugely important. I think it always will be. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it'll still be present, but maybe in a sort of post-apocalyptic uh, world where the sea sea levels have risen two meters, it might just be slightly harder for a future civilization to actually find everything that we've written because it will all no longer exist. <laughs> and on that note, bye everyone, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off to write a diary. Yeah. Oh god, we've touched on you know uh, a couple of pieces that you guys have done uh, in your journalism. We touched on the the English Channel piece, uh, and of course the 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 um the Scot the Scotland uh, drug issue as well. And I'm interested to dive into just these issues specifically. Um, so for the English Channel piece, do you want to talk about you know how that started, how it came together, and uh, how it was received? Just sort of the story of it overall. It depends which part of the media you're consuming, I guess. But certain parts of the tabloid press, um, and actually quite a lot of the broadcast media as well, um, have been reporting for the last well more than a year reporting on the small boats crossings of the English Channel. And uh, the way that started out was like Sky News, BBC News going out in a boat and like shouting at Afghans in a dinghy, like, where are you from? And Nigel Farage, before he was at GB News, was doing a very good YouTube trade in going down to those beaches and pointing a camera at those people. Um, So, yeah, a lot of people people were talking about it. And this was, I should make it clear, this was filmed before... um, that boat, that boat capsized, and those people died uh, in the channel. And I guess the way that uh, sort of, well, certainly for dressing it up was that you know he that he had some kind of concern for the people in these boats, um, that you know they were that they were endangering themselves. And don't get me wrong, it's obviously a deeply, deeply dangerous thing to do to cross the busiest shipping line in the world in a inflatable that you could buy at Lidl. Um, 
But, you know, I think you, you, you could, judging by his political record, I think it's pretty clear that there were other motives there for him talking about that rather than concern for those people. Not least because if Priti Patel and Nigel Farage are actually worried about those people, then they would, they would campaign for letting them on the Eurostar, the, just give them a ferry ticket. And, you know, then they then they can process their asylum claims here. That is an option that is that is available. Um, the reason the people are making these crossings is because safe legal routes into the UK have been closed to them. Um, so, yeah, there's there's that's going on. And all, all of this is set around sort of the port of Dover, the, the historical meeting point, the, the formerly a land bridge until 20 thousand years ago, a chalk bridge that linked England to France. Um, it has been for all of our recorded history, our meeting place with Europe. So because of that, there's the small boats crossing story there, but then it's also obviously a ginormous terminal point of contact for all of the trading goods that sort of crosses between the UK and Europe. And as a result of, uh, well, essentially Brexit induced red tape and other things, Freight was significantly slowed um, at the at the port of Dover ferry terminal and sort mm -hmm. of uh, the surrounding area. So I went there and sort of said, look, uh, a lot of the media is talking about this story in Dover and they're not really talking about this one, i.e. The, 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 the trucks. Do you think that perhaps the politics of either story, i.e. problem caused by Brexit and, well, without putting too fine a point on it, brown people coming to the uk which is enough to alarm certain tabloid editors mm -hmm. why do you think they're talking about one and not the other um and that and that was that was kind of the provocative way into it that then also you know don't i don't want to we, we, we spoke to shipping companies the problems they had they couldn't get drivers um that you know a lot of these a lot of these companies sort of had 10 15 20 percent of their freight uh fleet just parked on a forecourt because uh because they couldn't get the the drivers the drivers used to be european brexit changes meant that they could no longer if they didn't live in the uk they couldn't work in the uk they couldn't get the staffing and so mm -hmm. i think it was um I've, uh, this is going back a bit now so forgive me if the details are wrong but i think it was the road haulage association estimated there was a shortage of about a hundred thousand um lorry drivers now there's another part to that story which is that this i think a legitimate part of that story which is basically the companies don't want to pay the drivers the wages that would encourage an englishman a scotsman a welshman an irishman to go and drive a lorry because it is not a pleasant existence you're on the road for 14 days at a time living in like mm -hmm. service stations and your cab um and so i guess that it then touches on the on a broader question of brexit which is like you know did why did we do this? And I guess some people would say it's we did it to reduce low skill immigration and transition our economy to a high skill, high wage economy. Um, well, if that's the case, you know, you're going to struggle for lorry drivers. So for a lot of people, especially a lot of people from outside the UK or people who just aren't really in tune with, with, with the sort of situation, when you look at the treatment of migrants, modern UK's attitude to uh, you know, Europe and the rest of the world. And I think especially the, the migrant issues is a hyper, is a, is a good one to, to focus on. And you've mentioned, for example, you know, how a few tabloid leaders can get a bit uncomfortable about the, the concept of someone who doesn't look like them coming into their country. Uh, do you see this issue in this broad treatment as like quite a, is it a specific politics thing? Is it, you know, just certain parties or is it really just a broader cultural 
issue that the UK happens to hold for, for, for whatever reason? Is it more top down or do you think it's really just something that we deep down have to have to struggle with? It's a broad question. Look, um, over the last I don't I don't want to minimize this as a as a as a topic because over the last 20 years particularly under tony blair and the introduction of uh, new member states into the european union and mm. the open door immigration that resulted as as uh, that followed the uk has seen an, an unprecedented literally in its history num- number of new people entering the country um that is a it's a huge social cultural change to a, to a, to a nation um I think it's inevitable that not necessarily that, that, that friction follows, but there are going to be there are obviously going to be consequences. Like you know, something mm-hmm. something of that magnitude happens happens in a country. Things will change. Now, do I think it necess- necessarily follows that that there's that those people are stigmatized or that they're that they're shunned? No, uh, I don't. I think I. Th- uh, and this is a quick aside, but I, I firmly believe that uh, like a, a true form, a true form of, of patriotism a true, uh, is believing and loving your country enough and, it, and in, in it, the strength of its character, its culture, its ideals, that the introduction of other people from other places doesn't weaken those mm-hmm. ideals or doesn't weaken, doesn't weaken that character that actually that's there to its benefit that they have something they have something else to bring that that can improve your country and that's how and that's how i feel about it mm-hmm. um something i i, I learned interviewing slavoj zizek um he spoke about it and I, I found it i found it very compelling um it's not all down to the ta- to to the media in the country but i think a, a large a, some of it certainly is, which is basically, you know, there's a, there's quite a, a popular cartoon, which is like, so it looks like a police interview room and Rupert yeah, Murdoch's in the middle and he's got a huge mound of cookies in front of him. And then there's a builder guy in like a high-vis jacket and a hard hat to his necks with one cookie. And then there's like, you know, a brown guy on the other side of the table. And Rupert Murdoch says, careful, mate, he wants your cookie. I, I, I think that... It's an it well. It's a story as old, as old as history that other the other groups of the other are stigmatized and scapegoated for political mm-hmm. purposes. That the reasons for the structural deficiencies in a, in our country, and that's another thing, by the way, about patriotism. I I think true patriotism is 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 criticizing is criticizing because mm-hmm. it's a belief and a desire to improve. Uh, it's you know the the whole like I'll oh, just shut up and love Britain while you complaining is like it's just such phony mm-hmm. phony nationalism, um, but basically the, the the problems in the problems in your life have nothing to do with with capitalism with neoliberalism. The problems in your life are all are all because are all because Mohammed's got on a dinghy and crossed the channel, and you know. It, well, in, in, in actually, in previous instances, obviously, it wasn't it wasn't that that kind of case. It was more talking about sort of um, Eastern Europeans, Bulgarians, yeah. Romanians, mm-hmm. um, the Polish, and you know, I before I became a journalist, I worked in I worked in a McDonald's in my hometown, and half of the staff were Polish, and you know, they are some of first of all the hardest working, but also the nicest, caring, and funniest people I've ever met. Um, you know, it's. It, it, you can end up you can end up hating 
Marek because you think he's taking because you think he's taking your job mm-hmm. or if you spend time with those people you realize quite quickly um that they they're just trying to make do in the same way that you are and mm-hmm. that there's not you have much more in common uh with them i don't know if that necessarily answers your question um but yeah ba- long and short of it basically huge 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 societal change in the uk it doesn't necessarily follow that those people are scapegoated, but they have been. And as a result of that, it's now become politically advantageous um, to 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 demonise them, basically, is my is my view. That's really interesting. I mean, like it's always something I'm I'm interested in talking about because you know, personally, I actually didn't grow up in the UK for most of my life. I grew up in um, America, uh, Thailand, and China. Um, if you've watched, if people at home have watched any of these, they've probably heard that about a hundred times now. Um, it's my favourite fact to talk about. Um, so it's, it's always weird because from the other perspective, you know what I mean? Just thinking about like, um, like, I think, I think you kind of nail it on the head there where it's like the kind of phony nationalism where you, where people think that a, a, a couple of people named, like you said, I don't know, like Marek or Mohammed turning up is somehow going to ruin their country. How pathetic do you think we are? I think we're great. <laughs> really interesting. And then, and I guess, you know, onto the other piece that we've, we've talked about as well, drug abuse and suicide in Scotland. Uh, you know, we introduced it earlier. Um, you know, you talked about, you talked to a family who, was, who, who tra- tragically lost someone uh, to, um, I think, yeah, you said it was suicide. And I'm interested in, you know, even just saying that is so difficult and quite gut-wrenching to even try and conceive of. How is it engaging with people who've gone through so much and in such horrible situations? like directly uh, and then having to you know and then writing about it what is like the emotional process of that it seems so so difficult uh yeah it is i mean the first one is kind of like um self-loathing uh because you're like when, when we were with um the phrases who you know inspirational people honestly it, they'd literally collected jack's ashes on the day we went to film with them um so like he'd, he'd been he'd been dead a month and uh it was just raw is the only way to, to describe it and like his dad ricky sort of said to, was sort of said to me at the end of the interview he's like why the fuck would i want to talk to you like the reason you're here is because my son's dead like you know we're all hurting equally he then said to me about 30 seconds later like it was almost the thing he was most concerned about was like my own well-being he was like oh it's you know kind of been easy for you being here um so that's that's like the initial part of it uh then weirdly myself and ed uh our videographer who's also he's glaswegian himself uh we sort of left and we were really struggling to recall uh the like what had actually been said like in the conversation and uh our brains had basically this sounds really callous, but it's not like they basically compartmentalized it and mm-hmm. like shut it off. Like it was unquestionably one of the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, just like if like outside of like a journalistic perspective from like a human perspective, it's like I don't have, I don't have the emotional tools. I don't have, like, what can I say to that person? So I can't mm-hmm. um, to make them feel better. Um, and and yeah, like we, our brains had almost gone into like sort of self-care mode. And it was like, it was a blazing hot day. It was high to summer, gorgeous. And then we went, we were, we went to, we went to Ed's family home and he'd just seen his family for, I think the first day it was COVID stuff. So I think mm-hmm. he hadn't seen them for a while. 
and they were you know it was, it was they were very they were like really happy to see him they cooked him a nice dinner and then we were just sort of like sat there just kind of like staring into space um so yeah like obviously like, i think our brains had sort of gone into a bit of self-defense mode um and kind of you know tried mm-hmm. to sort of blank it out a little bit and then afterwards emotionally you're just trying to do justice to the people that have that have spoken to you um you're 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 deeply uh worried about publishing something that they don't feel is like at first of all a true reflection of how they feel how they feel or what happened Mm -hmm. and then also is also is kind of still you know broadly is 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 true to the problem true to what you your analysis of it and true to what you think the solutions are um so it then becomes it then becomes sort of professionally um taxing in, in a way in a way that it's that it's not emotionally i don't i don't know it's if, if i even talking about it now it mm-hmm. feels it feels like i'm not it's it not not cynical but if it, it's almost it's almost you feel like to talk about something as horrendous as that in in even to talk about it in like a professional sense it feels it feels like i don't know like you're like you're utilizing it or like mm-hmm. i don't know like it just it feels it feels weird it feels almost dirty i don't know i just um, i'm 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 i was and am in awe of not just that family everyone i spoke to in scotland for the su- the, the suffering they've been through their resilience in the face of it uh, and the bravery as well of, of speaking to me like, i won't ever forget i won't forget the phrases i won't i won't forget peter Crichton, who um there's another another character in that film you know he he was a drug user um he got clean he wanted to do something to help his fellow scots he started a safe injection site basically got an old ambulance kitted it out with sort of naloxone which is basically like the pulp fiction drug like if someone's having an overdose of heroin you give them mm-hmm. naloxone and they wake up um and he yeah but at the time there were questions about whether it was legal or not would the police let him do it he lost his job um, and he'd been clean for 11 years and he relapsed because he was, because of the trauma of what he was, what he was experiencing. You know, he's watching, watching people inject into open abscesses, people who'd lost limbs because they'd, you know, missed a vein, shot heroin into a muscle and the result required amputation in his ambulance still injecting. And that trauma, you know, he didn't have a support network. He's doing it himself. It's direct action. So it's not, he hasn't got, you know, any drug, drug counselors in the NHS, and, and elsewhere they provided counseling they provided therapy well he didn't have any of that and he surrounded himself by heroin all day so um, you know he's ended he's ended up taking again he and but when i was interviewing him he had just he got clean again and you know that his his willingness and desire to help other people quite literally at you know jeopardizing his own health his own personal relationships and it's all to help other people. It's just utterly inspiring. And I, I just, I, I, it's, there's a lot to learn from people like that. Um, and, you know, if, 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 what, if one day I am able to, you know, it, exhibit the same, the same degree of personal character and integrity as either of those, either of those people I've mentioned, you know, I'd be proud of myself because the things they've endured and the way they've responded to them are, are incredibly admirable. Oh geez, excuse me. Oh, even even just hearing it secondhand. Oh god, that is it, it is is it is um it's incredible, really. I think it is you know I think it's it's a real example of sort of getting out of the Westminster bubble of like of just like of of coverage. I think you know you look at 
general media now there is and like even just you know i've only just started the new states there is even like a real obsession of like oh my god it's pmqs this week this is the biggest thing in my life ever uh (laughs) and i think you know watching a story outside of what you would normally consider it's not you know your regular political coverage and something that was obviously you know so personal um was really important and i'm interested in sort of you know how much of a conscious effort you guys and your team try to really seek out and sort after stories which could be considered outside of you know the regular uh media media engagement yeah massively um i should i'll just preface this by saying like it's not that i don't think westminster is important oh yeah it is the decisions the decisions that are made there are you know they have consequences um and we spend a lot of time on pm also why i'm in, i'm employed uh, i also do the pmq stuff so it's very important please keep me around there's one for, <laughs> one, one for the no look absolutely and you know i'm sure pmqs <laughs> in a way keeps me in a job as well but the point the point i was talking about the, the 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 consequences of the decisions it's just we're, we're, we're covering the same story and like in the same way that you know um there is an important westminster westminster angle on things because the con the the decision that's made there will have long-term consequences um we just we just look at the consequences a little bit more you know and like i have interviewed i have interviewed politicians um and you know that's imp- that's important and serves a purpose but actually my sort of my favorite place to be is it is in play is in glasgow it's and elsewhere in dover it's it's looking at what's what's happening the real term the real world follow-on of a policy decision that's made i interviewed ian hislop a couple months ago and he was quite he was quite good on the obsession in media to look forward. What's going to happen next? Can I be the first person to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow? And don't get me wrong, like serves a purpose and it's important, but actually there's, there's a whole host of things. Well, a either going on right now or B what has happened, what was said, what, what were we promised? How were we told this, this was going to go? Is it going that way? Has it gone that way? Mm-hmm. Uh, and quite often the answer is no. <laughs> um, so, like, there, there's enormous there's enormous value in that, in 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 reporting on that. And um, you know, I don't think everything. Again, like, I, I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm getting down on like scoop based journalism. Like, again, mm, like that's important. Um, but I do think there's 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 space for you know, there's no. There's no, there's no, there's no exclusive in going to Scotland and looking. Like everyone knows, there's rec, there's record yeah. drug deaths. Everyone knows there's, there's record alcohol deaths. Like, uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that the, the story, uh, isn't, isn't, isn't as important as I don't know. Like, if you get the Sue Gray report before anyone else, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's just about balance. And also, you know, if you wanted to be, if I was to be like, probably, completely honest, there's. There's a there's there's a there's a tinge of cynicism in that basically we have a small team uh, we have to we have to be different from everyone else we don't have the resource that the mm-hmm. BBC has Sky News has Channel Four has those are the people that I want to be competing with so we have to do things differently we have we have to we have to pursue different stories we have to approach them in a different way and we have to we have to package them and provide them to the audience in a different way. Um, 
because if we tried to beat them at their own game, you know, with multi-million pound sets and live broadcasting and gotcha interviews, we wouldn't be able to beat them because we don't mm-hmm. have millions of pounds of funding and 200 staff. The idea of sort of, you know, focusing on what's going to be next, telling you what's coming in the future, and then actually looking at, okay, what are the consequences of what's happening now, I think is really interesting. You know, for example, we had a, um, a piece by Anoush pretty recently, Anoush Shkelian from the New States, a really good one I, I thought was very good, was about um, the NHS and just the current crisis that they're facing and like you know, things about like ambulance wait times and things like that. It just doesn't really seem to be something that is in the public consciousness that much. And I think the, 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 the example of um, drug abuse in the UK, I think is, per- is a perfect one because it is, you know, a real problem. There are loads of people uh, who, who, who suffer with it and, you know, literally lose their lives because of it. However, when we look at our, uh, you know, political media, or, or we look at like, let's say like political discourse, we look at, um, you know, parliament, for example, the only time you ever really hear about drug abuse is in the concept is in the context of like, um, what was it Boris Johnson said recently, like, oh, we're going to stop middle-class people doing cocaine. And it's like, okay, but what about all of this, all of the, the much more horrible stuff that's happening and like people are really suffering with it. And, you know, all of the discourse is almost in a sort of like, you know, Nixon war on drugs kind of sense. Why, why do you think there is quite a, just a, a general lack of focus on like the real like human consequences of now in our political, uh, political discourse and lives? I'd, I'd agree with you, by the way. I think Anoush does. I, I enjoy Anoush's journalism a lot. And I think she's actually done something on the New Statesman on like the woke coke myth as well. So a double crossover there. I mean, I think it's basically, um, I, I think it's, I think it's a, a cheap way to guarantee attention. Not cheap. Um and it's not easy either. I'm trying to think of it, the correct adjective. Basically, like if you get, if it's just, it's just, it's just like the the, the fundamental, like 101 journalism, mm-hmm. right? If you get a story first and put it on the front page, your newspaper will sell more copies than the one next to it on the newsstand. Um, so, like, and I guess that's the, the, the invisible hand of the market uh, uh, caressing caressing us in in in, in, very, in various directions. Ooh, but, caressing, you, know, you like, say. <laughs> Yeah, a, a much Where more favourable way of putting it than I think some would. <laughs> Invisible caressing, mm. um, but uh, yeah, like so there is that there is that incentive. There's the there's the eyeballs incentive, but you know equally, it's not that's not to say like there that the, the the other kind of journalism doesn't exist. It's you know the the UK's magazine media is very good at it, and I include Private Eye in that, um, which also is is fortnightly as well, so it's always going to be. A slower a slower pace of thing but I, I, I basically think the the, the two coexist can coexist they do coexist um it's just the the bright lights of the bbc 10 mm-hmm. and the various other broadcaster social media clips um though like what's the what's happening now and next is is the focus of that and i also think actually we kind of like that's slightly brexit's Brexity informed. I don't mean in like in any way to do with the EU. I mean like the the lit the literal like college green Laura Kunzberg's like doing a piece to camera and and like the the, the, the Hugh Hugh Edwards is basically saying like Laura, what the fuck is going on? Because no one else knows. And you know and you know she'll she'll essentially say like, well, this is what I thought it was five minutes ago, but by the time we finish, like who knows? Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I think 
um, I, at that specific event and the media environment around mm -hmm. it, I think is informing what we, what we do now, because because yeah, like it was so it was so febrile and uh, intense that it it, that it yeah, indicative votes, <laughs> Jesus, um, you know, like all that stuff. It's it really was it it, it left it left the mark and people mm -hmm. weren't it had such massive ramifications and people didn't know. So I think that's informed it, informed it slightly. Mm -hmm. um, I also just think that like, there's a broader trait in the human condition to be more interested in the future than, yeah. than the past, which, mm -hmm. is, which is really to our detriment. I think, I think that's a perfect way to sum up journalism as a whole, really. Just what the fuck is happening? Please, please <laughs> tell me. Uh, that's going in the thumbnail. Thank you very much. I need that. Um, <laughs> and right. Last question, very quickly. It's a very quick one. Uh, what was that first pint back like? Oh, delicious. Yeah, delicious. It was really good. I actually, um, I'm just going to say, during lockdown, uh, a pub down our road was closing down because the landlord was, um, a landlord was kicking, their landlord was kicking them out so he could build Jeez. luxury high-rise flats. Yeah. And uh, because they were being closed down, their tenancy was up. Uh, they just opened the pub in lockdown. Um, so everyone was like stood outside the front of the pub drinking pints and he was like we're staying open until the police come and shut us down so uh, that was like I think that was December 2020 oh wow so I I and then literally that wasn't that wasn't like first pints because we cheated had before then but yeah I I sort of I got I got a pint before the the first pint is always is always delicious um it's usually creamy it's satisfying and uh I guess I would just conclude by by affirming my my unwavering love of a cold pint. Okay. First of all, classic guard down clickbaity journalism. All right, you know. <laughs> uh, and secondly, you've now rivaled what what the fuck is happening? Please tell me with uh, creamy and smooth, which might also go in the thumbnail. <laughs> so either way, we're having a great time. Uh, Ollie, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great fun. I really appreciate it. Everyone follow at Ollie Dogmore on Twitter. There will be a link in the description. Check out his work at Geopolitics. It is all amazing. Uh, Ollie, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Cheers, Hugh. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for giving me the time of day. Cheers. Mate. Thank you very much.